The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Yoma has been dedicated in memory of Mazal Bat Esther Baghdadi and Yosef Ben Mazal Baghdadi by their family. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated by North Fork Bank and its private banking department with Gabriel Safti. Hashem Ishmedehu Bihayehu. We would like to thank North Fork Bank and urge our listeners to patronize this generous financial institution. On a uh, private note, we'd like to thank Mr. Gabriel Safti for his continued support for all our programs here at uh, Daf Yomi, Torah Learning Resources, and the Torah Center. Today's Daf has been dedicated in memory of Yosef Ben Mazal and Shalom Rafael Ben Mazal. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Daf Chav Gimal. Today's Daf is being studied. لعلون شمات أبراهام بن إستير روح الشام تني حنو بجن عيدن أمين تلايز داف is being studied لفؤاد شلما حيم دافيد بن أدل إننا رفعنا لو إننا رفعنا لو إننا رفعنا لو فانت نفش ورفوات الجوف ورفواتك ربنا بوا بخني رسول من عمر أمين we start today's daf on chav bet amud bet six lines from the bottom starting with Amar of Yehuda Amar Shemuel Amar of Yehuda Amar Shemuel mepene ma lo nimshechet malchut bet Shaul what's the reason why the kingdom of Shaul Amelech did not um, lend was not lengthened like she says leorich yamin for many days Shaul Amelech was only king for two years. So therefore, why didn't he have a long kingdom? Why did God make it in uh, such a way that he shouldn't have such a long kingdom? Because there was no uh, family uh, blemishes by Shaul. That she says, meaning he had no blemishes in his family. And when a king does not have any blemishes in his past family lineage, it causes them to have arrogance over the Jewish people. God always chooses a leader that has some sort of blemished history in order to keep them humble. So in this case of Shaul, his mishpacha was perfect. So therefore, that would lead to arrogance. God does not uh, nominate a panas, a leader over the sibur. Unless he has a box of shiratsim. A box of shiratsim is like a box of rodents behind him. That she says, The box of rodents is the blemished family. Because if he's going to have arrogance, just look back. Look where you come from. And therefore it keeps him, it keeps him humble. Comes the Gemara and says, Amar Rav Yehuda. Amar Rav. Why was Shaul punished? As she says, that God brought him to a situation where he lost the kingdom. As a result of him not um, obeying the orders of Shemuel when it came to the war of Amalek. So because of that, God says, Nihamti, I regret that I uh, made Shaul the king. 
So why did God even give Shaul a test where he can lose the kingship? So the Gemara says, Because he did something a king should not have done. He forgave and he forwent his kavod, his honor. The king, it says, A king has no right to forego uh, the honor of the kingdom. And Shaul did that when Shneemar when Shaul was nominated to be the king of Israel, it says in the Pasuk, the the people without yoke, the people they said, How is this one going to bring us a salvation? They said disparaging words against Shaul. And they were and they did not bring him a gift. When it was inaugurated, everybody was bringing matanot to the king. They did not bring him anything. Shaul made himself quiet. He didn't, uh, he didn't respond. He didn't say anything. And then it says, Shaul went to war against Nachash Amoni, and he was victorious in the war. And then what happened? That she says, after Shaul Amalek won the war, so then the Jews said, Who are all those guys that were speaking disparagingly against Shaul? Bring them now to us and we'll kill them. Which means after Shaul was victorious, so now the people wanted to take revenge against these people that were, uh, you know, c- committing uh, a treason against the king, so to speak. So the Gebra says, But Shaul said, No, nobody's going to die today. Which means he was Mohailan his kavod. So therefore, that was something that he should not have done because that's disrespect to the kingship. Because the kingship is uh, from God. And therefore, since he was Mohail on his kavod of the king, Borei Olam said, you lose the kingship for that. Because if somebody that cannot protect the malchut, does not deserve to have the malchut. And therefore, since he did not uh, uh, um, uh, punish the people that were disrespecting malchut, that's why God brought him to that avira. We have another statement in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yotzadah called Talmid Hakam. Any scholar, She'eno nokem venoter kanahash, Eno Talmid Hakam. Any scholar that does not nokem, take revenge, and noter, uh, bear grudge like a snake, is not considered a Talmid Hakam. Now, the simple interpretation over here, and the Gemara, of course, will go into it. But the simple interpretation is that, of course, uh, from time to time, a Tamir Hakam must fight uh, the proper battles, whether it's in the community or whether it's in uh, you know different areas of Kli Israel, in order to keep things in order. And therefore, he has to. He cannot be passive and just say, "No, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to go to war." No, sometimes he has to be nokem venoter kanahash. So I once heard. From Rav, from Rav Shimon Schwab, Alav Shalom. Why does the Gemara use the Lashon Kenahash like a snake? Meaning, there's a lot of animals that uh, take revenge, but why Davka like a snake? So I saw a beautiful explanation. A snake, when he poisons, he puts the venom in the victim, but he himself receives no pleasure, which means the snake has no hanaa. It's not like another predatory animal that when it attacks, it itself eats the meat and enjoys the uh, carcass. A snake, 
we might say its killing is l'shem shamayim, which means it does it altruistically. And then what they're saying, even when a tamid hakam has to go out and battle and he has to go fight and wage religious uh, war, he has to be like a nahash. It's not personal. It cannot be vindictive where he has, let's say, an agenda or he has uh, something personal. He cannot take anything from it. If he could be like a nahash. Then he can do it. So according to this, the Gemara is really uh, putting a strictness on the Tamir Hakam. He, the key word being over here, Kanahash. If you can't be do it like a Nahash, don't do it. It means if you're doing it, you know, 90% L'Shem Shamam and 10% because you have an axe to grind with the person that you're going after, that's not a Nahash. It's got to be 100% L'Shem Shamam. Then already you have the ability to go wage these uh, religious wars. In any event, the Gemara says, what do you mean? How can you just give anybody uh, a right to take revenge and bear grudge? The Akitiv, it's a Pasuk in the Torah, Lotikom Velotitor. Right, the pasuk clearly says you're not allowed to take revenge. You're not allowed to bear grudge in, in your heart. So the Gemara says, no. That's only referring to monetary situations. For example, the Gemara says, the Tanya, Give us a case. What is nekama and what is netira? Nekima, amarlo hashileni magalcha. Let's say a guy goes to his neighbor and he says, Do me a favor, can you lend me your magal, your sickle? Amar lo, love. He says, No. Amar lo, kardomcha. So then the guy who wouldn't lend the sickle goes to his neighbor the next day and he says, Do me a favor, could you lend me your shovel? Amar lo, any altani. I'm not lending you because you didn't lend me. Zuhi Nikima. That's a classic case of revenge. Which means you're taking revenge on the guy in, in a monetary situation. Again, talking about loaning something. That's considered monetary. Where somebody came to borrow something and you don't lend it to him because he didn't do the same to you the day before, so therefore you're taking revenge. Ve'ezuhi Nitira. Okay, what's Nitira? Lotikom ve'lotitor. What is lotitor? Amar lo. Hashileni kardumcha. That right, guy tells him, do me a favor, tells his neighbor, lend me your shovel. Amar lo. says no. Le mahar, amar ashileni halukcha. So the neighbor that wouldn't lend the day before, now he goes to his neighbor and says, do me a favor, can you lend me a haluk? Let's say a cloak. Amar lo, hilach. He says, yes, certainly, take it. Any kemotcha. I'm not like you. Sheloish altani. That I didn't uh, lend, that I didn't borrow my stuff. Zui netira. Which means he's keeping it in his heart. Netira, he still bears a grudge in his heart. He's still thinking about it the next day. He says, I'll give it to you, but I'm not like you. You didn't do it yesterday. That's noter. And that's in the case of the monetary again. So the Gemara's question was, how can Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Yotzada come along and say, Tamid Achara has to be nokem ben noter. He has to take revenge and he has to be noter against people. Uh, but you know, lotikom velotitor. No. Lotikom velotitor was only said by a monetary uh, situations. It was not said uh, by other cases. So, implying that what? That if somebody, let's say, does something personal to, uh, to you, there's no lotikom velotitor, which means somebody uh, embarrasses you, or somebody, uh, you know, or does another type of pain, inflicts pain on you, 
taking revenge in that situation is not subject to the law of the Torah. And therefore, that's what we're saying by the Tamin Hakam. Meaning, outside of monetary, uh, revenge would be uh, would be okay. And for Tamin Hakam, in some cases, it would be the proper uh, approach. So the Gemara says, the What do you mean? The laws of Loti don't apply to Sa'ad Aguf? Which means seemingly the Gemara is going to try to prove now that even if somebody uh, embarrasses you or does physical pain to you, still the laws of Loti Kovid Loti Tor apply. How do we know? Ve'atanya, we have a brayta. Ha'ne'ilavim ve'enam olbim. The Gemara talks about people that are ne'ilav, which means they accept embarrassment, they accept degradation. Ve'enam olbim. But they never embarrass, they never degrade others. These people are able to hear their shame, meaning when people are uh, embarrassing them, but they don't respond. They serve God out of love, and they love, or I should say they're happy, and they accept Yisurin affliction. What does the Pasuk say about these people? And people are such, the Pasuk says, the Ohavav, and those that love God, they're going to shine like the sun in its full strength. Which means these people are on a very high level. So therefore, you see what? Even if somebody is uh, derided or embarrassed, he's So you see what? That's a, that's that, that's not smash that what that there's a law because because you're not allowed to take revenge not only in a monetary situation but even in a personal situation that's not monetary one is not allowed to take revenge. So the Gemara says which means we're talking about over here that the Talmud Hakam is allowed to keep the grudge in his heart. Meaning, you're right, Loti Konva Loti Tor applies to a monetary case. And even in a case where we're saying that uh, if somebody embarrasses you and uh, with words and stuff like that, and uh, and shame, still the proper thing would be not to answer. However, we're telling the Tamid Hakam uh, that he is allowed to hold the grudge in his heart. That's what we're saying. Really, the Atenechim also shouldn't answer. But what? In his heart, the Nakit And we'll see why uh, in a moment. That she says, the Nakit third line of And furthermore, if somebody else is going to take revenge for the Hakam's Kavod, the Kiyuma Mishpat Yishtok. He can keep quiet. I mean, let others fight his battles, you can keep quiet as well. So that's what the Gemara is meaning. I mean, he's holding the grudge in his heart and doesn't stop others from defending his uh, kavod. The Gemara says, wait. But Anybody that stands aside to his midot, to his character, meaning a person that does not stand on his character, meaning he lets things slide, he doesn't, uh, you know, right away, uh, revenge, take a revenge if somebody does something for him. Literally the words mean ma'avir amidotav, he stands aside his midot, which is not say he has a midah of anger, to revenge. 
So he stands aside it. I mean, he doesn't let the midah control him. He walks away from the midah and he overcomes it. It says, Ma'avirim lo al-kot peshav. It says they forgive him for all his sins. So it seems that what? Forgiving and forgetting is a Torah concept. The Torah is telling you, let it go. Don't, 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 don't carry it with you. And the Gemara is saying that such a person, they forgive him for all his sins. So how are you saying that Tamir Hakam should hold it in him, hold the grudge against the people that went after him? So the Gemara says, they mefaisu le umefayes. Says you're right. If they come along to the Tamir Hakam and they appease him and they ask for forgiveness, then you're right. Ma'avir amidotaf. The Tamir Hakam should say, no hard feelings, forgive and forget, no problem. But until they come and mefayes him, until they come and appease him, the Gemara is saying he's allowed to hold it in his heart. But until that point, no. So basically, what we have in this Gemara is a, a short uh, piece on the laws of Nikima and Netira. So let's try to review at least some of the conclusions that come out based on this Gemara. First, one thing is clear. In monetary cases, for example, the two cases the Gemara gave of a guy lending something, not lending, and the next day his friend not lending and saying, because you didn't lend me, I'm not lending you. That's clearly the Isur of Nikimah of the Torah. Nitira would be same case, but the guy lends him the next day and says, I'm not like you. That already is bearing a grudge. That's clearly Isur Torah. Now, if let's say somebody pained his friend verbally or physically, either he hit him or let's say uh, he cursed him or embarrassed him. So in this case over here, according to the strict law, it's mutar to take nekama. However, it would be uh, adif, it would be better not to answer. And that's what the pasuk says. You have these special people, shum'im arpatam ve'enam meshibim. You know, they're able to hear their uh, shame and they don't answer. It sounds like that's already a hasidut. That's already a higher level. From the strict law, lotikom velotitor was not said by that. But of course, if a person can overcome that level, to not only not revenge, but even better, ma'aviram nidotav, you know, stand aside his, uh, his character and, you know, just forgive and forget. Of course, that would be worthy. Now, if a person that was, uh, let's say, cursed or embarrassed, and then was appeased in all situations, Halakha says he must let it go. Once there's appeasement, where the guy comes and says, I'm sorry, forgive me, you know, I didn't mean it, whatever it was, then in all cases, a person has to uh, let himself go. Now, all um, that we just said above applies to a Tamir Hakam as well, except one thing. According to our uh, Gemara, a Tamir Hakam is allowed to hold it inside of him. Which means when he's uh, embarrassed or somebody does something to him, he's a, we don't tell him, eh, let it go. No, on the contrary, we tell him he's allowed to hold it inside of him. And when others are going to go and revenge for him, he's able to keep quiet and let them do it, like she said. Now the question is, uh, why? Why would we give a Tamid Hakam uh, this ability to hold it in him? Because his kavod is kavod Torah. Which is when somebody's coming and uh, disparaging a Tamir Hakam, it's not only him that they're disparaging. They're disparaging what he represents. And since he represents Torah, so therefore he must hold it in him because we want the people that disparage Torah to get punished. And then if the Hakam lets it go, 
finished, forgive and forget, or there's not going to be any repercussion. So therefore, the Gemara is saying, the Hacham has no right just to let the Torah be mocked, and say, ah, forget about it. Then the whole religion of Judaism is based on Torah, the whole thing goes down. So therefore he should keep it in him, and when Borei Olam sees the Tsa'ar of the Tamin Hakam, he's going to come and exact punishment against those that are Mibazeh, uh, the Tamin Hakam. Or if somebody's going to take revenge, the Hakam could say, I'm not going to say anything, go do it. But it's not personal again. That's why I said in the beginning, it's just Kedahash. It has to be L'Shem Shamayim, because he just wants to protect the uh, Torah. Fine. Comes the Gemara and continues. Okay, we learned in the Mishnah that when the Kohanim would run up the ramp in order to... Uh, be the first to do the mitzvah to the in the morning, if there was a tie, so then they would go to the lottery. And the lottery was, all the Kohanim would stand in a circle, like we learned yesterday, and the Mishnah said they would put out one or two fingers, and they would count. Uh, they would, the, uh, the Mimuneh would pick an arbitrary number, and he would count the uh, fingers, and whoever it land on, so that would be the Zohem. So the Gemara says, Hashtash Tayyim what is the Mishnah to tell me one or two fingers? Meaning, if you tell me two fingers, of course, one finger. Why do you have to tell me one or two fingers? Just tell me you could put even two fingers. If you can put two fingers, obviously you can put one finger. Why is the Mishnah saying, Ahat Oshtayim? So the Gemara says, Amar of Hazda Lakashya, Kan Bebari, Kan Behole. No, we're talking about two different people. A healthy person only puts out one finger. The Hiddush is that a sick person, what does it mean a sick person? Some people have a difficult time just putting out one finger. It seems when they extend one finger automatically, the second finger also just uh, comes up as well. So therefore, a sick person is saying, he's allowed to do Shnayim. But I want to point out, they're only counting it as one. Meaning, everybody gets one count. No matter how many fingers you put out, you're still one. So then when the, when the Mimones count, he sees the guy with two fingers, it's one. And they just move on to the next guy. So therefore, the, the Mishnah is telling you that a sick guy, we give him a dispensation, if he has no way out, he has to put out two fingers, so it is okay. Look at that she on the fourth line, Chole, Enu yachol lichbosh itzbe'otav. He cannot control his fingers. Right? When he extends one, the other one goes out with it. So Gemara says, This is a proof. As we learned in the Braita, this is not a question, this is a Nihuta. As we learned in the Braita, Right? As a general rule, one finger for each guy, Kohen, and not two. That's only talking about a healthy guy. He can even put out two fingers. Now, she says, sick people, they're not even uh, sitting with people. They're really like in bed or they're, uh, they're sitting alone. So they can also put out. Uh, two fingers. Now, what is the uh, hidush 
on that line. You just told me sick people are able to put out two fingers. What is this extra line over here of Yehidim? So uh, the Mefarshim explained over here, we're talking about Kohanim that are able to put out one finger. But the point is that since they're alone really, or they're sitting separate from everybody else, they can put out even two fingers of Kattahida. Because the whole reason why we don't want to put out uh, two fingers is we don't want the Mimuneh to make a mistake that it might be of two different people. Because you only, you only get one count. So therefore, we don't want the, uh, the, any mistakes where they can uh, play games. So over here, when a guy's sitting in the circle with everybody, so then you can put out one finger, make it easier for everybody, just put out one finger. A sick guy, you have no choice, stick out two. But if a guy's part of the camp, but he's sitting alone, look how many fingers he puts out, because I know he's only one. Because I, I know he's not with the group, I'm not going to make a mistake to think he's... Uh, there's, no, there's no room for him to play any tricks or games, because everybody knows he's only one, he only gets one. One count. Mashaking the people in the circle, we'd rather than put one. But if they put two, so that that, that leads more to uh, trickery. Even though by 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 two fingers, like the, without the thumb, since they it's really hard to separate them from each other. So it's really hard to look like uh, two separate people. Okay, by the thumb, we're going to see that's possible to you know the guy will count it as two because he'll think it's two separate people. But by regular fingers, no. But still. Just to keep it uh, clean, everybody do one, uh, sick people two, a guy sitting separately because he doesn't feel good, whatever it is, he can do two, because we know that there's not going to be, uh, doesn't look like uh, two Kohanim. Comes the Gemara and says, Okay, is the key. But no matter how many fingers they put out, you only count each person as one. So comes the Gemara and says, What do you mean? You only count every coin as one, no matter how many fingers it comes out? Is that true? We learned in a Braitha. We don't let him put out Shalish, uh, that would be, let's say, the third finger, the middle finger, or we, and we don't let him put out the Gudal. Gudal is the thumb. Rashi says, uh, with the forefinger, because bottom line, we have a rule. You can't put out two fingers. Now, at this point, it's saying regarding the third finger, the third finger is no different than any other finger. When we say you can't put out the third finger, you can't put out the fourth finger either. Nor can you put out the fifth finger, the pinky, which means you can only put out one finger. But when it comes to the thumb, that's already a bigger problem. Because that's an issue of Rabba'im. There you can come to trickery. Regarding the other fingers, we're not worried that the Mimune is really going to make a mistake, that it's two different people, and that he could, because, again, if, if, if he thinks it's two people, then you can already could trick. Because he could start putting one finger out, and then when he sees the count, yeah. you know, coming up to him and he wants to catch the count, he'll just stick out his third finger. But we're not worried about that really because... It, it looks like the same guy because you can't separate your index finger to your third finger so much. So therefore, the mimune is going to know it's the same guy. So he's only going to count them as one. But when it comes to that, but still we say, you know what? One finger. We don't want you to put out not the third finger with it, not the fourth, not the fifth. But the agudal is worse because the agudal is trickery here. 
because the guy who's counting is going to think that it's two people over here so he's going to count that same guy as two and with that he's able to manipulate the count so the Gemara says if a guy put out his, his third finger even though he shouldn't uh, you still count them as one and we don't punish him you made a mistake we don't want you to do it when you put out two fingers you count them as one Gudal in Monimlo. But we find out a guy put out his thumb, that's it, you're out of the count. We disqualify him from the pious. Velo od Ela, and not only that, Ela bepakia, which means we we whip him, we lash him with the pakia. Pakia is actually a special type of whip. He's for for trying to pull a trick over here in the Beth of Magdash, they flog him. Now the Gemara's question is that it says if a guy put out more than one finger, monimlo. So it was mashman the question, we count both fingers. So it's mashman that you're counting not one per kohen, you're counting based on how many fingers came out. So that's a question, because it's monimlo. It's mashman you count the two fingers. Oh, so that's the Gemara's answer. My monimlo, what does it mean monimlo? ahat. It means you count them as one. That's all it means. Exactly. You count them amongst the Kohanim, meaning you're not disqualified, but you count them as one. So no matter how many fingers the Kohen puts out, he still only gets one count. Thumb disqualified. Kebara says, my pakia. What is this pakia that you're telling me about? Amar Rav. Rav said, Madra. He calls it a Madra. Kebara says, my Madra. What's a Madra? Amar Papa Matreka de Taye. That is the whip. That the Arabs used the tayyah of the she says the tsuot yishmaelim that they used to whip their horses. The pasik reshe, it seems the head of the whip is split, and therefore when they whip the horse, it hits them. You know, a lot of times, just instant, it's split down the, uh, you know, the strands at the at the tip of the whip. So therefore, it's much more effective. So therefore, that's why they call it. Um, yeah. A uh, a pakia. Pakia means it is uh, it is cut or it is uh, it is split. Amar Abaye Abaye said Miresh originally have Amina. I thought had itnan. That what it says in the Mishnah. Ben bibai mimune ala pakia. There's a Mishnah. It says there was a fellow called Ben bibai in the Beit Hamikdash. He was in charge of the pakia. So Abaye says originally when I saw that word pakia. Amina Pitilta. I thought Pakia means wicks. No, I thought he was in charge of the wicks of the Beit Hamikdash. Kidetnan mebelae mechnesia koanim mehemnein mehen ayu mafkiin ubehen ayu madlikin. We have a Mishnah that says from the worn out clothes, for example, the worn out pants of the kohen umehemnein, and from their belts, they used to uh, uh, fashion wicks mafkiin. They used to, you know. Um, uh, spin or tie or, or make wicks for the Beit Hamikdash. So therefore, he thought that the word pakia is a word that's used by wicks. So I thought Ben Bibai was the guy in charge of the wicks. That says he gets whipped by the Mimune with a pakia. Amina, my pakia nagda. I said, ah, oh, you know what the pakia is? The pakia is the whip, and therefore Ben Bibai was in charge of the whip of the Beit Hamikdash. Look at Rashi for a second. Rashi says the pasik Right, it's it, the head of this whip is split. 
וכך כאילויה פקיעה That's why it's called the pekiah She'ena rechava b'rosha k'sha'a ritzuot It's not wide like other um, whips or belts Malkut Ela mafseket b'rosha ritzuot dakot It splits into smaller ritzuot whips at the end K'deshi yergish ba'asus yoter So the horse will feel it more U'pakiah l'ashon pitsuk Pakiah means like split which means like it says by the by the wicks of the Kohen they would uh, rip the clothes rip it, mean rip it into smaller pieces that's not some mafkiim they would rip the clothes of the Kohenim so also they would like tear the, the the end of it to make it more so I thought originally it was uh, wicks because it was referring to wicks but I saw that as actually a um, a whip like that and she says that so hot malkut comes the Gemara and continues <coughs> Tanu Rabbanan, we're on the first wide line. Tanu Rabbanan, Ma'aseh b'shnei kohanim shayu shneihem shavin, v'ratzin v'olim b'kevesh. So Gemara tells the story in the Brayta. There were two kohanim that were running up the kevesh, running up the ramp in order to do the mitzvah. Kadam echad mehem netoch arba amot shachavero. So one of them got to the four amot finish line before his friend. Natal Sakin, so the friend that did not make it took a knife and he stabbed his friend in his heart. His friend? His acquaintance, right. Amad Rabid Sadok al Ma'alo Ta'ulam. So when Rabid Sadok he saw this murder that took place in the Beta Mikdash over the Mitzvah uh, of Termata Deshin. So he stood up in Mahalot by the steps of the Ulam so everybody can hear him. And he started to give the people Musar. The Amar, Achenu Beit Yisrael Shema'u. My brothers of Israel, everybody listen. The Pasuk says, If we find a corpse or a dead body on the ground, The judges must come out and they must try to find out who did it. And if they cannot find out, they have to measure. And they measure to the closest city. And that city must bring the Agla Arufa as Kapara. So now he says, Anu almi lehavi Agla Arufa. He says, who's going to bring the Agla Arufa in this case? He's not talking from a halakhic standpoint. Again, he was trying to give them Musar. Who, where are we going to get Kapara? Al-Air? Is the city of Jerusalem going to bring the Agla Arufa? Or Al-Azarot? Is the Azara going to bring the, meaning the courtyard? Who's obligated over here? Which what he's trying to say is, over here we have no kapara. Which means, over there it's only because lo no da mihikau. No, you don't know who did it, so therefore the Torah gives us a solution, how to get kapara, bring it to the closest city. Here, we know who did it. The Kohen blatantly murdered his friend. And therefore, where are we going to get kapara for this over here? How is this going to be atoned? Where is our kapara going to come from? Ah, so all the people, thought they heard that, they started to cry. So the father of the slain Kohen, they call him a Tinok, the young Kohen, the father of the slain Kohen came, the, he saw that his son was still... Uh, Moving, he was still uh, alive. Amar, harehu kaparatchem. He's okay. My son will be the kapara for you. 
ועדיין בני מפרפר ולא נטמעה סכין. And then he made a statement over, a shocking statement. He says, and my son is still alive, the knife is not tameh. She's the father over here, sees his son lying there on a, on a, in, in a, moments to death. And what is he thinking about the father? This is the knife. Because since the, the boy is still alive, so there's no tum'ah. So he says, Rabotai, he's still alive, the knife is not tameh. So the Gemara says, Le'lam to come and teach you, They were all concerned about the Tum'an, the Ta'arab, the Kelim, more than they were about Shavichut Damim, more than they were about murder. And the Gemara explains, And the Gemara says, This happened in the times of Menashe. And Menashe, the king of Israel, he was a very murderous king. And murder in his day was rampant. And therefore it seems that the people had a very callous attitude towards murder because it seems that was a very common thing. So it says the father, when he saw the murder, he wasn't so, uh, he wasn't so shocked. But what? The Tumah of the uh, Keli, that's what excited him. Comes the Rashi. Look at the Rashi. Al Ma'alot Ha'ulam. Right, Rabbi Yotzadak stood at the steps of the ulam. ulamot There were a lot of ulamot. We'll call them, let's say, uh, stages or uh, you know, elevated areas that Hordos built. Where are we going to take the from the people of Jerusalem, or we're going to take it from the Kohanim that are in charge of the Azara, Ga'ud Sa'aku, and they all started to cry. And the father said, And his death will be an atonement. Comes the Gemaran says, Now we have a question. Was our Mishnah told us that there was a milder episode that took place on the Kevish, where one Kohen pushed his friend, and the guy fell off the Kevish or whatever and broke his leg. As a result of that, they made the pious, they made the lottery. So the Gemara wants to know well, which story took place first. If, if this story take, took place first, so therefore, to, to finish, the Tekanah was already, how, how did a guy break his leg running up to Kevish? So the Gemara says, Hey Ma'ase Kadim, which episode came first? Ilimad Shvichud Damim, if you're telling me the murderous episode took place first, which means if they didn't make a takana for a pious after there was a murder, you think they're going to make a takana for a pious after somebody broke his leg? And you're going to tell me that what the broken leg story happened first. Exactly. What were they running up to Kevish in the murderous case for? This was a Takanava pious already in place. Really, the murderous story took place first. They said, all right, listen, it's an isolated case. It's not so normal that a guy's going to go now and murder his friend because he didn't get to the Kevish first. So they said, you know what? This doesn't warrant yet a Takana. When they saw 
in a more common situation that's possible to happen, that people are going to push each other, and they saw people are getting uh, physically damaged by that. So, okay, said, we see it's not isolated anymore. We see that it's happening, and meaning even in the normal realm, where people normally push each other to pull for position. So therefore, at that point, the rabbis made a takana on the more common situation. Comes the... Right, the... Mefashim, the Sfat Emet says, I quote the Sfat Emet, that Koren Sharak et Tanefesh Bevaday Haya Rasha. Obviously, the Koren that uh, murdered was a Rasha. Velo Bishi Askinan, we don't have to make a Takana for the Sha'im. Velo Shiyah bin Akwanim Mikrim Kelo. That's not common to this for this to happen. The end Sorek Mahmat Mikrezil and Taken Takana. When Hashem, in the case of the pushing, pushing is common. And therefore, they had to make the Takana. Comes the Gemara and says, Amad Rabbi Tzadok al Mahalot Haolam, Amar. Right, we learned Rabbi Tzadok stood up on the uh, in the steps of the Ulam and he said, Achenu Bet Yisrael Shemau. Right, brothers of Israel, Arehu Omer Ki Matzei Halal BaAdama. Right, it says if you find the corpse in the Adama, Anan Amid Lahavi. Who's going to bring the Eglarufa? Al Ha'ir or Al Hazarot? So the Gemara is now questioning. Virushalayim Bat Atuye Eglarufai. So what was the Bitzadok even saying? Can the, do the inhabitants of Yerushalayim ever bring in the Igla Arufa? Which means that is going into a logic discussion. Let's say you found a dead body between two cities and Jerusalem was the closest city. Does, does Yerushalayim ever bring Igla Arufa? Ten things were said regarding Yerushalayim. And one of them is what? Igla Arufa. It is not subject to the law of Igla Arufa. Why? That she says, On the land that was given to you as an inheritance. Now we learned early in the Masechet that there's a Mahlok, and one opinion says Yerushalayim was not given to inheritance. And therefore was not given to the Shivatim. So therefore it's not considered a land, Lirishta. And therefore it's not subject to Eglah Rufa. So the Gemara is asking a technical question. Hey, Rabbi Yotzadak, in your speech to the people, you said, who's going to bring the Eglah Rufa? The city of Jerusalem? Hold it. Did the city of Jerusalem ever bring in Eglah Rufa? They're not subject to the law. The Od... So what are you talking about? What does this even got to do with Eglarufa in the first place? Eglarufa is only when you don't know who murdered. Here, you know who murdered. There's no Eglarufa. You know the uh, culprit. You know the uh, you know the uh, the um, the suspect. All they were, he was doing was just to try to motivate them to cry. He was just giving them a, a musar. It wasn't a halakhic discussion of the Yotzadak. It was more of a musar. So Kebran says, Ba'abib shel tinok. Right, so the father of the victim, tinok, the child, batsaok shumiperper. He was still like uh, moving. Amar arehu kaparatchem. He will be your kapara. Va'adayin beni kayam. Right, then he said, my son is still alive, the knife is tahor. Right, that it was more difficult for them to see a keli become tamer than it was them to see murder. So the Gemara now analyzes this attitude. Was it that murder was just cheap in their eyes? 
But Tarat Kirim was on the normal standard. It's just that since murder was cheap in their eyes, so therefore the Tarat Kirim was more pronounced. Or maybe no, maybe murder was still hashuv in their eyes, like the normal status. But still, Tarat Kirim was more important to them than murder. Would you want to understand what was the what was the attitude? Was it that the Murder was cheap in their eyes, or was it that Tarat Kirim was elevated in their eyes? Tashema, medeka nasib la Talmudaf, the fact that the Gemara brought a pasuk, vegam dam naki shafach menashe, remember at the end of that right, I brought it, the pasuk of menashe, how he was, you know, murder was very common stay in his time. Shema minash shifichud damimu dezal, vetarat Kirim kedekai makaima. Busby is trying to teach us that since in the time of Menashe, Jerusalem was filled with dead bodies, from mouth to mouth, which means that was a normal thing. And obviously murder was cheap in their eyes, and Tarat Kalim was normal. It's just that in a, in a time where murder is cheap in your eyes, it looks like they were treating Tarat Kalim more than murder. That's because the murder was uh, low in their eyes. That's the. And not that they had any more severity on Kalim. Then this time, then another time. It's just that since murder was cheap in their eyes, because they were used to it, it's happening every day, so they saw a guy die, alright. But the Tarat Kelim, therefore, was the issue that was concerning them more at that time. Okay, comes the Gemara. We start a uh, new subject now in the Gemara. Let's just review uh, quickly two mitzvot that were done in the uh, Beit HaMikdash. One on a daily basis, and one from time to time. One was called Haramat Adishin, and one was called Hotza'at Adishin. Haramat Adishin was every day. The Kohen would go up the ramp in the morning, he would take a shovel with him, uh, from the ashes that were on the Ma'arakha, from the night before, he would shovel them up, it didn't matter how much the shovel takes, as long as he takes at least a comet's worth of ashes. Then he would take the shovel, he would go down the ramp, he'd go to the eastern side of the kevish, put it on the floor. We had a mahlokit in the Tosafot, did the, did the ground swallow it or not, between the Riporat and the Rabbeinu Tam. In any event, that was Haramat Adishin. Every day the Kohen did that service. From time to time, when the ashes on the Mizbah would build up, and there was a lot of ashes, you needed to maintain it, you needed to clean it. So that was called Hotza'at Adishin. There a Kohen would go up the uh, Mizbeah, and um, he goes to the Tafuah. Tafuah is the mound of ashes that have uh, gathered in the middle of the Mizbeah, and they take a Pesachtar. Pesachtar is a big keli, I guess like a shovel type as well, and they would uh, shovel up the Mizbeah, and Allah says they would bring it Mihuslair. That's where the ashes go, Mihuslair outside the city. Now again, this was not done every day, it was done from time to time. So now Al-Gamana is going to discuss uh, exactly which begadim, which clothes did the Kohen wear during these services. Because again, since it's Avodah, the Kohen has to be lavush uh, begadim. So the Gemara begins. Gemara says, Now we're talking about Hotza'at edition. Okay, we're talking about the law of... Taking out the ashes, not the daily uh, service. Good. Tanu Rabbanan. We have a Braita. Upashat. 
Literally the Pasuk says, Upashat et begadav, velabash begadim aherim, vehotsi et adeshen. Let me give you the context of this Pasuk. This is in Vayikra Vav Pasuk Dalit. In Pasuk Gimal, the Pasuk right before, it talks about Tirumat Adeshen. Quinn gets up in the morning, he has his clothes on, he goes up to Mizbeach, he takes the shovel, goes to the eastern side, good. Then it says right after, Upashat et Begadav, he'll take off whatever garments he was wearing, Velavaj Begadim Aherim, he's going to don new clothes, or different clothes, I should say, Rotsiet Adeshen. So we want to know, what are these different clothes over here? You have to remember, Kohen Yot doesn't have too many sets of clothes. Not like a Kohen Gadol that has Kohen two sets. A Kohen Gadol can either wear the eight garments or the four garments. But a Kohen Yot, a Kohen Gadol does not have to do Hotzat addition Or Hadamat addition. It can be done even by a regular Kohen. So the Gemara is going to try to analyze now, what are these Begadim Ahirim? He was wearing clothes. He had to be wearing the four clothes. So what, when he takes off the four, what does he wear? Does he put on weekday clothes? Does he just put on, uh, put on a regular suit? I mean, the, the, what, what's this begadim? Ahirim. Yeah. So the Gemara says, Upashat velavaj begadim ahirim veotsi et adeshen. Shoma'ani kederech yom kipurim, Which means, will I learn this pasuk the way I learned the pasukim by... Yom Kippurim, meaning by Yom Kippurim you're changing, the Kohen changes from, let's say, Begdeh Zahav, oh, those are the eight garments, it's called Begdeh Zahav because it has the seats, which is gold. So you go from Begdeh Zahav to Begdeh Lavan. So it's two different garments. So I'll say the same thing over here. Sheposhet Begdeh Kodesh Velovez Begdeh Hol. Which is, in this case, he has no two sets. So it must mean that when he's doing the Haramat Adeshin, he's wearing Begdeh Lavan. When he does Hotsa'at Adeshin, he puts on weekday clothes. Meaning, Velavash Begadim Ahari means the mundane, regular clothes. Because like I said, he doesn't have a second, uh, a second set. Talmud Omar, Kibara says, Upashat et Begadav, Velavash Begadim Ahirim. It says, Begadav Begadim. So the Kibara says, Makish Begadim Shelovesh Begadim Sheposhet. We're making a connection to the, between the clothes that he's wearing now to the clothes that he took off. Malalan Kodesh, Afghan Kodesh. Which means again, when it says, Upashat Begadav, he will take off his clothes. And the clothes that he took off obviously were Kodesh. Because when he's doing Tirmat Adeshin, he's wearing the Begadim Lavan. Velavash Begadim Ahadim. And he'll wear other Begadim. Oh, Begadav Begadim. They're both Kodesh. So then the question is, if they're both Kodesh, what do you mean Ahadim? He doesn't have it on the set. So the Gemara says, So what does the word Ahirim mean? What's it coming to teach us? Which means he wears inferior clothes. He has two sets. Let's see, he has a nice set of Big Deladan, and then he has a set that's torn maybe, or worn out. Yeah, it's still Kodesh. But what? He doesn't wear the same nice set. He has like a, like a, like a new suit and an old suit. So for the Tirumat Adeshin, he wears the Big Day Lavan, nice, you know, nice, nice ones. But it comes to the Otsat Adeshin, he shouldn't wear his good clothes. Again, all Big Day Kodesh. The same coin have to do both? Same coin can do both. Can. can do both. If he's doing both, he just changes from his good clothes and he puts on the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the clothes that, like I said, are uh, ripped or uh, worn out. Or um, some say that they were made out of pishtan, let's say. 
flax, so it doesn't, let's say, have the glow or the shine of, let's say, uh, other clothes. Okay, but in Kiddushah, they're equal. That's Tanakamah's opinion. The Vraita continues. The Pasuk says, Velavash, again, Ufashat Begadav, Velavash Begadim Aherim, Vehotsi. He makes a derashah the words Aherim, Vehotsi. And he's going to learn, it's not going on the clothes. He doesn't hold that the Kohen has to wear Big Dekodesh for the service of Hotsi tradition. He learns Aherim Vehotsi that what? Which means others, Aherim, other type of Kohanim Behotzi. What type of others? Even a Kohen that's a Baal Mum, that has a blemish, that normally cannot serve in the Beit HaMikdash, but for Tzat HaDesh, the Bidya says, he can. So it comes out we have a fantastic Mahlokan over here between Tanakama and the Bidya Tanakama says that he has to wear Bigadim, of Kodesh, when he does the service of Hotzat Adeshin. The business says, no. He can wait even if he wants Begdihol. Oh, so what is the Ahirim? Begadim Ahirim? No, that's Ahirim is going on Vehotzi, meaning other types of Kohanim can do the service, meaning even Baaleh Mumim. Amar Mor, Ahirim, Kodetanakama, we said he wears other clothes, Pehutin Mehem. Okay, that's like we learned. Inferior quality, lower in quality, not lower in kedusha, lower in quality. Like we said, worn out clothes. Kedetana de Bishmael. Like we have a bright name of Bishmael. Kedetana de Bishmael. Begadim shibishel b'hem kederal rabbo lo yimzok b'hem kosta rabbo. The garments that a person wears in order to cook the food, he doesn't wear those same garments when it comes to pour the wine in front of his master. Which means when you're cooking, you get your clothes all dirty. So it's not kavod to wear those same clothes when you're standing in front of the master and serving him. You put on uh, clean clothes. So the same thing. It's not kavod for him to wear the 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 the, the, the regular clothes and get them dirty. Fortsatadeshin. Now he's going to start wearing them for uh, other services. So therefore, we tell you, you know what? When you're doing the dirty work, so to speak, put on uh, other clothes. And uh, when you do the regular avodah, then you put on the clean clothes. Now. Comes the Gemara and says, Amar Shlakish. Shlakish says a Hadush over here. Kemachloket behotsa'ah, kak machloket beharamah. We saw clearly in the bright that Abili Ezer holds a Ba'almum can do hotsa'ah. Now we don't know what Abili Ezer holds by haramah, by the first uh, procedure. Mine Haramat edition is the, the shovel, putting it on the side of the Mizbayah. All he says is my Hotsa'at edition. But if he learns it from the Hotsa'at, then it's much more that from the, the Haramah, it has to be different. He makes it No, he said it by Hotsa'at. Now we try to find out what is his opinion by Haramah. So the Shtakish says, Kemachloket behotsa'at, Kemachloket beharamah. He says, you know what? The business is consistent. Just like he has a shita by Hotsa'at, that Pisudim can work. So to my Haramah as well, and Tanakhamah argues with him over there. So the Mahloket is both by Hotsa'ah and Haramah. The Rabbi Yohanan Amar, Mahloket be Hotsa'ah. Like you said there, the Mahloket is where it was said. Avah be Haramah. But everybody holds on to the Haramah is considered an Avodah. That's really a service. So it's going to seem that the whole Mahloket hinges on, do you consider Hotsa'ah a service or not? If you consider... Um, uh, 
if you consider, everybody considers the Kotel to be on Harama service. It's Avodah. If it's Avodah, you got to have a coin that is Kashir. There's no, no impossible that Baal Mumin. There are Igdus of Nishtakishis that according to Bili Ezer, even by Harama, you can have a Baal Mum. Now we have to understand how that works. Does he hold it's not an Avodah? Or does he hold it's an Avodah and still you can get away with a Baal Mum? So that's what the Gibbara is going to analyze now. So the Gibbara is going to analyze this now. My Tamad Rishtakish. What's the reason of Rishtakish? Amar Lecha. If you're going to tell me that Haramat addition is an Avodah, Yesh Lecha Avodah Shekeshera Bishnechelim, is there an Avodah that's kasher for the Kohen to wear two garments? If you look in the Torah, when it talks about the clothes that the Kohen wears when he does Haramat addition, the Pasuk says, Venava Shekohen Mido Bad Umichnese Bad. It only tells us he's wearing two out of the four garments. Midobad, that would be like the ketonet, the cloak. Umichnesebad is the pants. pants. It doesn't mention the hat or the abdit. And therefore, this taki says, oh, you think Arabata, this is avodah? It can't be an avodah. Because the Torah says he only wears two out of the four garments. So if he's only wearing two out of the four garments, isn't that a, a telltaling sign that it's not really considered a service? And if it's not considered a service... Even let Balemumin serve. That's the Shtakish's proof. So therefore he holds. Just like Hotza'ah is not an Avodah, Haramah is also not an Avodah. Then Rabbi Yohanan, Rabbi Yohanan says, Gale Rahmana Bechutonet Umichnasayim. Vuadin and Mitznefet Vavnet. Rabbi Yohanan says, No, no, no. Haramah tradition is an Avodah. And don't bring me a proof that it only said two garments. When it said the two garments, it really means four garments. Also, why did it specify only these two? So he says, Then why would the Torah have to specify two? Which means the Torah doesn't have to specify any garments. Which means we know the Quran has to wear the four begadim. Ah, so you had a question of Shtakish. Yeah, but it only says two garments. His master is only wearing two. Nah, he's really wearing all four. It's an avodah. Therefore, pesulim are not valid. Oh, you can ask me a question. So why even list two of them then? So the Gebaras, I'll tell you why. Midobad. You know what it's coming to tell me? Midobad. The Torah could have wrote a ketonet. But instead it says the word midobad. Mido can come from the word mida. Mida means like a measure. Measured, uh, measured cloak. So the Gebara says, Mido kemidato. Then teach me what? It has to be fitted. Which means the Kohen's garment cannot be dragging on the floor, let's say. They cannot be too long. It has to be tailored. Midobad. Michnesebad. You know what I learned from the word Michnesebad? Michnetanya. Minayin shelo yehed davar kodem le Michnasayim. How do I know that the first garment the Kohen puts on is the Michnasayim, is the pants? Shneemaru Michnesebad yilbash al besaro. He has to wear the Miknasayim on his flesh. When is a person in his flesh? Before he gets dressed. He's all flesh. Therefore, Miknasebad, Yilbash al Besaro. When he's all Basar, when he's uh, not dressed, when he has nothing on, first he puts on the Miknasayim. So therefore, Rabbi Yohanan says, really, Haramat Adeshin is an Avodah. And you need all four garments. And therefore, there's no Mahlok. Everybody says you need a regular Kohen that is Kashir. 
Aye, but it only says two out of the four garments. That's for a derasha. That's for a derasha to tell me midobad. It's got to be measured, meaning it cannot be, uh, you know, dragging on the floor. Teach me that the miknasayim always go first. Oh, vereshtakish. Vereshtakish. You're learning that those two garments are specific. You're learning that the Torah wrote them to tell me, Adavka, those two to teach me that it's not an Avodah. Where do you learn these other dirashot from? How do you know the clothes have to be tailored? How do you know the pants have to be put on first? He says from the same pasuk, Mido kemidato. Midaafke rahmana bilshon mido. Meaning, Rashaki says, the Torah could use the normal word ketonet. From the fact that it didn't use the word ketonet, and it used the word mido, I learned two things. Number one, he wears a ketonet, and number two, from the fact that the Torah used the lashon mido, there has to be a mida, meaning it has to fit him. And furthermore, shenoye davar kodem lemechnasayim, me'al besaron nafka. I don't learn it from the, the words umechnesebad, I learned from the word al-besaro. Besaro is extra. Well, where, where's he going to put the mechnasayim? Obviously he puts it on his flesh. And that's coming to tell me when he puts it on first. So the Shtaki says, I can learn both things of the pasuk. I learned number one, which two garments he wears. And therefore he's only wearing two, therefore it's not considered a avodah. Therefore ba'alim umin are kashir. And number two, I learned these two hadushim that the Yohanan learned as well. Baruch Amen, amen.